Corinthians chapter 2. Anybody need notes out there? Anybody have notes? If you need them, raise your hand and these guys will help you out. Galatians chapter 2. Tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And it's interesting that here in the epistles, um, we kind of have a, a history lesson or a, a story that took place in the book of Acts. And Paul gives us a little more insight into it as he gives us some things about grace and about doctrine that are important as well. So Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Then 14 years after, and we believe that this is 14 years after his salvation. So he kind of determined everything uh, as a time based on his salvation. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are commentator crazy, there are commentators who say it's 14 years after his first trip to Jerusalem. So from chapter 1, you can kind of determine that yourself. What I say is it doesn't matter as long as we go to heaven. So, so verse number 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with, with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, I love this uh, parenthesis, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. Isn't that good? For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, and by the way, if you're a Baptist, you've got to love the end of that, sentence, that, that verse. They who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Baptists have conferences all over the country where guys sit up there and they, they're the big speakers for the week. And sometimes they think there's something. So verse 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Now we have another parenthesis. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen at the end of the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. That means I got in his face. It really does. I'm not joking. Because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So here, here was the deal when uh, Peter was hanging out with this group of Gentiles. He said, you guys have any more of that meat that was offered to idols? Fry it up. That is good stuff. And he was eating out all their potlucks and their fellowships. And then these Jews came in. And Peter's like, 
Gentiles? What Gentiles? I don't even know any Gentiles. So, so there was kind of this mix that was going on. Um, so he separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. This is the guy who went on the first missionary journey with Paul. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So, wow, it gets pretty dicey here. Um, So we're going to cover it, and uh, Lord willing, get through these 14 verses tonight. Father, bless us as we preach your word tonight. I pray that you give us insight. Help it also to be a teaching time and a time of application in our lives for how to handle uh, difficulties and and conflicts between brothers. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the parallel passage to this, uh, we start in your notes, that helps us understand the context of this chapter is in Acts 15. So I want you to go back there if you would. Acts chapter 15. And of course, Acts is the New Testament history book. It goes from Jesus and the time of his ascension all the way to the time just before the Apostle Paul's death. Uh, Paul's death is not recorded in Scripture, but church historians say that he was beheaded by the wicked, uh, psychotic Emperor Nero just after Acts had been completed. Acts 15. All right, so here they are in the missionary journey, and Acts 15 covers, it probably says, if you have a study Bible, council at Jerusalem, right? So this is a big all-church conference, like all the big heads of the church had to come, and they sang victory in Jesus the first night, because that was the tradition, and everybody knew how to hold the hymn book, And they all knew the secret handshake when they walked around. And there were 10 or 11 guys who got to sit up on stage. And all the little pastors in the back who only had a church of 50 were going, oh, someday, someday I'm going to be on that stage, right? And everybody was, this the council of Jerusalem, it's big stuff. And Paul showed up. He's just this crazy missionary from Antioch. And nobody even took much interest in what he had to say. But God apparently had moved in his life. And there was something big going on in the Gentile world. So here they are. And uh, by the way, you've got to remember this. The people in Jerusalem, they still thought they were the only ones who knew anything. Right? They felt like good information had not yet passed to the rest of the world about what gospel should be preached and how church should work. And they, it's kind of like when you go on a mission trip somewhere and you're shocked to find out that they have church in other parts of the world. It's like, whoa, how do they figure out how to do that? And they've never been to America. Because we get this idea, sometimes this insulated thing, that, wow, we're the only ones who are doing anything for God. And you talk to pastors, we're the only church in our county that preaches the gospel. I feel like saying, dude, I looked in the yellow pages, there's like 18 of them, Right? But, but we're the only one because we only use this music and we only have this, this thing going on. And, and by the, you could tell by my voice being low that these were important people. All right, so verse number one, Acts 15. 
And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. It said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, this doesn't really sound like what Jesus said, right? It doesn't really sound like anything that you hear in the Bible about being saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and be circumcised shall be saved. Right? So it's impossible for women to be saved, obviously, in the Scripture. This passage really starts off with a a big item here at the council. Now, Now look at this. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that means they had a big one, at disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of other men should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and others about this question. So they're, they're going to go up to the big council. They're going to take it up to the group. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So the people who were authentic Christians were excited for what was happening in the Gentile world. And when they were coming to Jerusalem, they were received to the church, and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, <laughs> that phrase always just strikes me funny. Pharisees which believed. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, hint, hint, don't be a Pharisee anymore. Right? If you're legitimately an authentic child of God, Quit being a Pharisee and be a Christian. But they, they hadn't got it. So they're saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, this is the matter of Cornelius. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear their witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. It put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now, that's a huge question. It's like, why would we want to put the Gentiles under this grievous law, not just circumcision, but the ceremonial law and the 613 rules you had to keep. He said, we've been under it and we weren't even able to do it. Why would we want to add that to the Gentiles' plate? They have enough trouble. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. That is a big verse. That was the determination of the council. Salvation by grace. And we're going to hit that in your notes in just a minute. And after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Yet to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. We'll build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And you could keep reading this chapter yeah, the determination was that the Gentiles were not going to be under the law. Okay? And, and so there was going to have to be this meeting together for them to be able to work 
um, in some type of unity between Jews and Gentiles in the churches of Jesus Christ. And I would urge you at some point to finish reading chapter 15, but we got to do Galatians 2 tonight. So let's go back over to Galatians 2. And we get the story in Galatians 2, and, and this is more of, it's obviously written by the Holy Spirit for our learning, but it's more of Paul's impression or his witness of that same event. And it's kind of interesting how that Peter stood up, and I'm not downing Peter at all. Um, his actions down him plenty in the New Testament. He was an incredible disciple, courageous, stubborn as a mule, um, just an incredible man of God. But it's interesting when he stood up at the council and said, you know what, you guys remember a while back when God called me to go to the Gentiles? And we find out in the New Testament, who was the apostle to the Gentiles? Paul was. Peter went to him one time because God forced him to. He was in a trance on a rooftop, and God had to show him the same vision three times. They didn't even get him to go answer the door. And, and then he went with the band of Cornelius men and went and preached the gospel to him. So Galatians 2 shows us kind of a little different view of this. All right. Here we go in Galatians 2, and in another second thing. Paul went to Jerusalem according to the revealed will of God. This is from verse 2. And I went up by revelation. Okay, so that it wasn't because of any human call. It wasn't because um, he was forced to go. He went up because God told him to go. And it's, you can see immediately, he said, and communicated unto them, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now that gospel is basically salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he went up to Jerusalem to tell them, that's what I'm preaching. Now look, look what he did though. This is interesting. He says, but privately to them which were of reputation. Okay? And here's why. Lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Here's, here's what it means. It means I didn't want my trip to be wasted. So I didn't walk on stage of their council meeting and tell them off. I went to the important people behind the scenes and told them what God had laid on my heart. And I won them as individuals so that later in the big council meeting when the issue came up, I already had 12 or 13 guys on my side. Now that's what you call wisdom. That's what you call wisdom. I have been on both sides of that issue. You think, good grief, we're going we're gonna to spring this thing on everybody, and everybody's going to be for it, and it can't miss. And then you get up and describe what's going to happen, and it's a dud. Right? Everybody's, oh, what is he talking about? Um, I remember the church, first church we worked in, the pastor, he had a heart for God, and he's a sweet guy. But he had a new vision like every week. Or every other week. And uh, they were going to start a boys ranch. And then they're going to start a mission. And then they're going to start an orphanage. And, you know, every few weeks he had this big thing that he'd have going. And uh, I, one of the things I learned from that is not to come and uh, take all your eggs and throw them out in front of the whole crowd. But find some godly people who you could get some feedback from and talk to them. And, and that's why we, we try to do that here at Centennial where there's 
so many people in this body who have great value as counselors. And uh, getting feedback and understanding how, how God might be working. But that's what he did. He privately met with these people. All right? So, on his trip, this is in your notes, did I say this? He cut no corners and feared no human consequences. He wanted cooperation, but he wouldn't compromise God's grace. So he didn't go in like a ball in a china shop. He wanted cooperation. He wanted to work with people. Um, And it's kind of, sometimes we get so abrasive. Like, I've got the truth right here. If you don't believe it, you can just walk away. Well, what do you think people are going to do? They already walked away. They walked away when they saw you with your grimace on your face and how angry you were. Um, They didn't want any part of it. And, And so we have to be able to come to people with truth, not, not mincing words on the truth at all, but with a gracious spirit and a gracious attitude. And I believe that's what Paul did. All right, next thing in your notes. Uh, we get to verse 3. And this is a verse that, um, if you've ever studied this chapter at all, this verse, you're like, well, what does this mean? But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. There are some commentators who add that up with verse 4. And they say, okay, well what this means is that Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Now, the thing is, you just got to read verse 3 again. Look what it says. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. What do you people get out of this from God? Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised. Okay? But there was an undertone. There was a group of people in the back of the council meeting who had some different feelings about this and some different thoughts about this. And we say it in your notes. Though there were false brethren who attached salvation to circumcision and the law, Paul made the case... It was not so. And his case was Titus. Right? He said, here's Titus. Here's this young man. He's a Gentile. He hasn't been circumcised, but he is saved by grace. And Titus was this trophy of grace. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm sure some of you already know this. Timothy, who was another one of Paul's young protégés that he mentored, Timothy was circumcised by Paul. You know why? Because he was going into cities to preach where there are a lot of Jews, and Paul didn't want him to be a stumbling block to those around him. So, aha! Oh, now I know. You don't know anything. Right? Timothy was, Titus wasn't. You explain it. Go ahead. Um, Paul always had this knack for being balanced. And here was the balance that he showed. We would be willing to do anything to reach someone for the gospel. That was on the Timothy side. But on the Titus side, we can't change what the gospel means. We can't add anything to the gospel. And uh, Titus is not being circumcised just to prove he's saved by grace alone. So get both sides of this. Now, 
It's always interesting, especially in the New Testament, where you have to preach a whole message and keep saying the word circumcision. And it's just kind of uncomfortable. Um, but, but it is what it is here in this chapter. So Galatians 2, verse number 4, these false brethren were brought in unawares to spy out our liberty. Okay, they wanted to bring them back into bondage. So they were going to find all the things that these Gentiles were doing wrong. Aha! I knew you were doing that. You can't really be a Christian. Right? This is sometimes what we do with each other. Oh, look at... Ah, did you see what she did? She's not really a Christian. Right? Did you see where he just went? He's not really a Christian. This is why God teaches us in the Bible, kind of say this in my own words, mind your own business, right? Keep your relationship with God right and let God take care of his children. Um, the Bible says that if someone is God's servant, they'll answer to him. He can take care of it. And you need to answer to your master instead of worrying about other servants, like these people did in verse 4. Paul was very resolute on this. Um, verse 5, just, it's so strong. He went in here so gracious and wanted to meet with these people and befriend these people. But he said, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We didn't even entertain what they had to say. We didn't even listen to what they had to say. We told them, bug off, get out of here. We're not listening to you. And we're not going to meet you halfway on this that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So to keep the purity of the gospel intact, Paul had to be strong on this. And we say it this way in your notes. Paul stood up for the truth that the false gospel of law doesn't save us. Okay, there were four parts of this. And it gets into this in the second part of the chapter we'll see next week. Gospel of law doesn't save us. It doesn't help save us. It doesn't keep us. It doesn't help keep us. The law does nothing as a part of our salvation or our security at all. Um, the law is just simply a schoolmaster that teaches us we need Christ, that teaches us we're guilty. And so he's going to get there with the Galatians. Um, next one in your notes. The law of Moses was neither Paul's means of life, nor was it his rule of life. Okay, so even though he had grown up a Pharisee, he, he understood that he didn't get eternal life by the law. He had lived his whole life under the law. And all that determined was that he was guilty. And on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he became a child of God. Jesus Christ worked in his life. And he was not under the law um, to rule his life now. He was going to rule his life by the liberty and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful where we stand on issues. We, we have to not do things to flaunt Christian liberty. But we also have to understand that we have to keep our Christian liberty. Um, God's grace is so important to our lives. And it's once again that mix of Timothy and Titus. The mix of saying... By, by God's grace, I would do whatever I could to reach people with the gospel. But I can't ever change the definition. 
I can't ever change what God's grace is. Second section in your notes. The council agreed that salvation was by grace alone. And we read that in Acts 15. And that Paul should go to the Gentiles while they ministered to the circumcision. Okay, so Paul, we read this in in Galatians 2 where he explains this. And, And so everything seemed to be settled. So you see this, they, they gave the right hands of fellowship, and they said, okay, things are going to be good. You guys head out and uh, go reach the world for Christ. Well, at the end of that chapter in Acts 15, there was a big dissension in Paul's ministry grew. And a part of the dissension had to do with this issue of circumcision and the law. The part that Acts 15 mentions is that there was this young guy who had been traveling with them named John Mark. And John Mark was a a young believer um, who was a teenager at the time of the resurrection. And uh, he was ashamed of of what had taken place and ashamed of Christ at that moment in his life. And he began to travel with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary trip. And the going got a little tough. Uh, Mission trips were a little rough back then too. In fact, probably even rougher than they are today. Um, the airline meal is kind of what we worry about. They were worried about eating it all. And so John Mark went home to Mama. He traveled back home. He couldn't take it. And at the end of the first journey, Barnabas wanted him to go again. And Paul said, he's not going again. He's not going with me. And because they already were having some personality issues over this whole law circumcision thing, Um, They split up. And Barnabas took Mark and went on his own missionary journey. And Paul took Silas and went on his own missionary journey. And they had a conflict between them. And uh, so so this kind of broke their team apart. Now later, uh, you probably already know this, but later Mark went on to write the gospel of Mark. Right? He got a lot of his information from Paul. Um, and from some of the other people that he hung with, of course, the Holy Spirit wrote it through him, but, but that's that same mark. All right, so then we get to Galatians 2, verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, so this is after the council, now Peter's on a trip. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Because he was to be blamed. Now this verse messes some people up. How could Paul? How could Paul talk to Peter that way? Peter was the first pope. Right? Let me just help you with this, please. Peter was not the first pope. Right? He wasn't the first pope. Um, Peter was just a man. He was a disciple. He was an apostle. But he was a man. And he got this one wrong. We're going to see a little bit more of how he got it wrong later. But the approach that Paul took with this is such a lesson for us. I promise you that if you live out the Christian life very long, there's going to be someone that you disagree with. Or someone that disagrees with you. It's going to happen. And there are a lot of ways you can handle it. Paul handled it right. Here's what we say in your notes. When Paul had an issue with Peter's doctrine, he did not go to others and whisper his suspicions. 
Right? So we never find in the Scriptures where, where Paul went to Luke and said, Luke, I tell you what, Peter, he's saying things that just aren't true about the Gospel. And then he goes to Titus, and then he goes to John Mark, and he goes to Barnabas. No, he went to Peter. He had a problem with Peter, so he took it to Peter. Now, this is the exact way that Jesus said to do it in the local church. Just to remind you of this. Maybe you haven't seen this for a while. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Those of you who have a lot of conflict in your life, you should mark this passage with a highlighter. I'm trying to be funny about that, but maybe you really should. (laughs) Get out your highlighter. Matthew 18. Verse number 15. Now, some of you just held your Bible up because you already have it marked with a highlighter. (laughs) That is too good. I love that. Matthew 18. You people are no fun tonight. Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now, this is big because this doesn't say if you do something wrong against your brother. This says if your brother does something wrong against you. Right? And you can't just write it off and say, you know what? He's a human. It's okay. I'm not upset about it. If you're losing sleep over what your brother did to you for more than one night, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Right? Do you remember that time when that couple got in their car after church on Sunday night and you were in one aisle and they're in the other aisle and they backed out when you thought you were supposed to back out? Right? You already had your reverse lights on. You already had your brake lights on. You already had signaled that you were backing. And as you started to back out of the space... Here they came, and they weren't stopping for anybody. And all the way home, you told your wife, they did it on purpose. They backed out on purpose. They saw that I was the one behind them. And they have it out for me. You think I'm joking? There are church splits that have been caused by things like this. And... And sometimes people refuse to speak to that person for weeks and months. Right? And one day they come up to you and say, hey, how's it going? You know, what's, what's been going on? You did it on purpose! <laughs> what? Sorry, what, what happened? Last winter, we backed out of church, and you did it on purpose! And it takes like five minutes for recognition even. What are you talking about? And this is why Jesus said, hey, if you're losing sleep over what your brother did to you, go to him and say, John, I don't know if you did it on purpose. I don't know what happened. But two Sunday nights ago, or last Sunday night, we backed out at the same time. And you kind of almost ran over my car. Right? But if you did it with him and him alone, you guys could work it out. But instead, here's what so many Christians do. Right? They come over here. Dave, I don't know if you know this, but John Brashear is a bad driver. Right? They come over here. Thomas, I know you're in, you've been driving for a year and a half. Watch out for John Brashear. He backs out crazy. And, it, and, it, 
And finally, one day, John walks into church, and somebody says, heard you're a Yehu, or whatever the Bible name is, Jehu, who drives furiously. John, what are you talking about? Well, I heard you almost ran somebody over at church. And I'm being honest, he doesn't even know what they're talking about. In most disputes in the local church, the people don't even know what you're talking about for a while. And it's because we don't have the gumption to walk up to their face and tell them what bothered us. And so this is a pretty easy passage. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now there are other instructions about how you should do it if it's an elder um, or if it's somebody who's in a leadership position. But in a standard way, you ought to be able to walk up to somebody and talk to them. If you can't walk up and talk to them, then they're probably not the person with the problem. Right? So walk up and ask them. Um, I've had people leave the church before because they, they say weird things about, well, you preach this, you preach that, or you said this. And when you actually go talk to them, they totally had no idea what they were even asking or saying. Um, we, we had a family that had come from a charismatic background once. And I got up on a Sunday morning in Sunday school and had said, look, the next week in this next chapter, we're going to be talking about the role of women in the church. They never came back to church. And so after a couple months, I asked somebody who knew them and kind of tried to get word, what happened to these people? We never saw them again. And here was the answer. They knew what you were going to say about women's role in the church, and they were offended. Like, well, could you at least come and hear before you get offended? Could you at least come and hear what maybe was going to be said about how valuable and wonderful women are in the local church before you get all upset about it? But, but we do these things and we go around and we do whisper campaigns. And Peter went straight to Paul and withstood him to the face. Okay, here's another thing that's important. He did not seek to undermine Peter's influence and authority by slander. Paul did not have to gain authority or gain some type of influence by pulling Peter down. By the way, if you ever feel like that you have to get yourself up higher on the ladder by pulling somebody else down, you're sabotaging yourself. You're just going to end up hurting yourself. You don't ever have to tear somebody else down to be lifted up. The Bible says that if you just do right, that God will lift you up. God will exalt you. He'll put you in the right position or the right place. We have to be very careful how we handle these things. So Paul goes to Peter and he talks to him because it was his fault. And here was the point of contention. It was very simple. Peter said that the wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles was broken down. We're all the same. We're saved by grace. Everybody's cool. But he was afraid to practice this when he was around Jewish people. Okay, and verse 12 explains it. For before that, certain came from James, who was a Jerusalem pastor. 
he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, when the, the party came from Jerusalem, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So there was this big dilemma going on in the local church in Antioch. Here's what we say next in your notes. There is a difference in associating with people to win them for Christ and associating with them only when it's easy and convenient. Now, Paul believed in, to the Jew I became as a Jew, and the weak I became as weak, to them who are under the law as under the law. 1 Corinthians 9 explains this. He was willing to associate with anybody, as long as it wasn't in a sinful way, if it meant he could influence them for Christ. And yet, Peter, his was an influence of convenience. Like, I'll do this if it doesn't offend anybody else. I remember when we first came to Boise 15 years ago. Um, we had a tiny little church, and um, we moved into Garden City, and, and occasionally we'd have guests come, and, and, you know, you'd always be excited. If a new person walked in the church, it was like Christmas morning. You know, because we had, you know, 30 people and same 30 people. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, same 30 people, right? Same two kids in the nursery, our kids. And, you know, same everything. So um, when somebody new came in, you kind of, oh, wonder what their background is, right? And if you found out that they were hymn singers, you changed the order of service, right? We're only singing hymns today. And if you found out that they liked, you know, some of the praise songs, we're singing praise songs today, we're loose, right? And you could formulate the whole service just to get those people to come back. Here's the only problem. Eventually, those people will figure out who you really are, right? So the best thing to do, and we learned this very quickly, just be who God made you to be. In the first place. You don't attract people by changing who you are for a temporary time just to gain favor. It makes no sense. So just be who you are. And, and just try your best, and we're not, none of us are perfect at this, but try your best to have the balance. Listen, we would do anything short of sin to reach someone with the gospel. But we're not going to take our influence and manage it based on who's in the room. We're not going to take what we think and what we believe and say, oh, better not say that old so-and-so's in here. If you really believe it, then say it. If it's according to God's Word. I'm not talking about opinions. But let's, let's be honest about who we are in the Gospel. And, and so Peter struggled with that. Next thing you notes, this disagreement needed to be done publicly and properly because it had influenced and affected others. There's a typo, typo in there, including Barnabas. So because this had affected so many people, there had to be a public statement about it. But Paul went to Peter and talked to him first. Okay, He, he didn't just write a letter and publish it in the newspaper. He wouldn't actually talk to the guy. He didn't start an internet blog. He actually talked to him. They had some Christian healing that took place here. And I believe it, it really was a time of healing. 
Um, it, you notice this in the passage, Peter never answered. He never answered. He knew he was wrong. And I believe that there was a godly time of healing here. And if you read um, the New Testament, isn't it amazing how God placed the New Testament canon in the order that it is? Um, Paul wrote from the end of Acts all the way through until, I think, the end of Hebrews. And then, who shows up? Jerusalem guy, James. Then who shows up? Peter. Then who shows up? The beloved, John. Then who shows up? Brother of Jesus, Jude. And then John again. And and kind of the way the canon lays out, God used all sorts of different men in the New Testament. And I believe there's a time of healing in the, the entire church at Antioch. Last one. This question is one that remains today. And this is huge. Why do you live one way and command others to live another way? So basically, this is the question, why are you a hypocrite? That's what he asked him. Why is it okay to eat with the Gentiles when there's no Jews around? But when the Jews show up, you act like you don't even know any Gentiles. That's hypocrisy. You know, it's still hypocrisy in our lives when we live one way and we command other people to live another way. And we all have to be careful of it. We have to be careful of it in our homes, in our personal lives, in church settings. And and that's why if you come to Centennial very long, um, we do our very best and, and maybe we're totally wrong and we get to heaven, God will judge us and tell us. But we do our very best not to preach sermons on the pastor's preferences equal to doctrine. Now, does the pastor of this church have preferences? Yeah, he does. But if I preach them as the gospel, I'm a fool. You know why? Because I'm going to confuse a lot of people. And there are a lot of people who are eventually going to think that the pastor's preference is equal to some spiritual status or doctrine, and it's not. Not at all. So the best thing that I could do is just preach this and leave my preferences out of it. Right? If I have preferences, I get to push those through at home. Right? My kids get to know exactly what they are. And and you get to do that at your house too. But the local church and the leadership of the local church is not the place to push through your preferences and then try to find a Bible verse to attach it to. Because you know what that does? It confuses 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds to where they never want to come back again when they leave. Because they say, well, Deuteronomy 22.5, that's Old Testament law, and it talks about women not wearing men's robes and men not wearing women's robes. Why does this mean that women can't wear slacks to church? Right? got really quiet because there's some women in slacks here tonight. And they get confused, right? Like, well, wait just a second. This verse says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How did the pastor take that verse and preach against my favorite Christian singing group? Right? So we have to be careful that we don't push preferences equal to doctrine. Preferences always end up coming through a little bit. But with our youth leaders, we try to tell them all the time, listen, you can't preach 
what you feel is important outside of the Scriptures as equal to Scripture. And, and Paul and, and Peter, this discussion is so valuable for us. We all ought to be growing every day. We should. And, and I love it when God shows me somewhere I can grow in my life and in how I present the Scripture and what I think. And sometimes I challenge, I, I'm challenged by people who are far outside of my circles who say things, and I actually have to sit down and think about, why did he say that? And then I think about it for a while like, whoa, he's right. He's right. You read the Scripture and you figure out, whoa, I've always looked at this the wrong way. So we're, we're very careful um, about what we present as doctrine. And, and so if you've got a little hobby horse issue and you've ever thought, why doesn't the pastor preach on that on Sunday nights and hit everybody upside the head with it? That's why. Because we as Christians all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Holy Spirit guides you to truth. Right? And if the Holy Spirit's really good at that, at taking those, what you might call gray area or preferential issues, if the Holy Spirit's really good at helping you to find truth on that, why should I ever try to become the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit? That would be foolish. But there are churches all over, over America where church leaders have become the Holy Spirit for their people. And then the leader leaves, or the people leave that church, and they're so confused, and they're so hurt, and they're so abused. Because they never knew the personal God of the Bible. They just knew, well, here's what pastor said. I've actually heard people say that. Like, well, why do you do that? Well, pastor says, like, well, what did you say? Careful. What, what did you say? Well, pastor says, oh, hold on. Right? So, so kind of rethink that issue with me. Don't go out mad at me. I'm trying to help you. Galatians 2 is teaching a grace theology that comes directly from Jesus Christ. It really does. And what that means is there's room for us to disagree about things. If Peter and Paul, the two foundational apostles to the Jews and the Gentiles, could have a disagreement, the chances are phenomenally high that we're going to disagree about some things. Right? And I've had disagreements with tons of people in this room, but you know how we ended the disagreement? With a hug or a handshake, in the case of some. Say, boy, I sure do love you. Thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that. And I appreciate when people challenge me with truth. And I hope you appreciate it too. Let's stand. We're going to be dismissed in a closing word tonight. Uh, hook up with your service group for a minute afterward if you can. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Galatians and the truths that are in it. Uh, written to this region, this group of churches in Galatia. And yet, so powerful and, and really so present for us today. Help us to take its value and use it in our lives by the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.